Good evening, everyone, and welcome to In the Know with Kat Babineau. Today, my extra special guests are the hosts of The Beauty Brains. So please welcome Perry Romanowski and Valerie George to the show. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you for inviting us. No problem. So I had an opportunity to listen to your podcast, The Beauty Brains, which is all about cosmetic and skincare, right? And you guys are both cosmetic chemists. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. cosmetic chemists is uh, a <laughs> we're the we're the people that actually put to mix together all the chemicals to make the products that people use every day. Awesome. So tell me, how did you guys get started first in cosmetic chemistry? Well, really, I think uh, our stories are a little similar in that we both kind of fell into it when we went to college. We both studied chemistry, biochemistry. And mm -hmm. when we finished, we were looking for jobs. I actually went to grad school first, then was looking for just for work. And we saw uh, in the newspaper that cosmetic companies were hiring. And, you know, for me, it was kind of like, wait a second, I can get paid to make lipstick for a living. <laughs> and I was hooked from there. And I, Perry had a parallel story. I, yeah, I got a degree in chemistry. Actually, I started out as a biology major. Mm -hmm. And I got to my senior year in biology. And now when I also was taking a chemistry minor, because the classes overlap a lot yeah. for the first few years. Mm -hmm. And I got to my senior year and I started looking for jobs of what you're going to do with a biology degree after college. And there were hardly any. <laughs> so if you weren't <laughs> going to get a PhD in biology, there wasn't much out there. But I noticed that there were a lot of chemistry jobs. Mm -hmm. And so I worked it out. So I stayed an extra year uh, in college. I studied on the master's level, but finished up a chemistry degree and just got a biology minor. And then I applied for chemistry jobs when I got out of college. And the first one I got was at a company called Alberto Culver, which was famous for hair care and some skincare products, but mostly hair care. So that's how I got into the industry. Well, that's awesome. Uh, yes, as a biology major, I can attest to not many jobs out there unless you yeah. go and get your PhD. Let's see what I teach. But, um, yeah. Yes, or teach, exactly. But with chemistry, there is a, a lot of overlap. I think it's like biology mixed with math. And then here we go. We got some chemistry. But I, the math was never my forte in, in chemistry. I could do basic math. Chemistry. Yeah. That's what I time. that's what I loved about it. I actually wanted to pursue, I was thinking like maybe I add the math major on, and then I, I figured out that that takes more time. So I was like, nah, but the, <laughs> the math part for me was the fun part. Well, it is okay. interesting. It is interesting as a cosmetic chemist, uh, there's a lot less math than you would imagine. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah. okay. But the good news is the math that's there is is basic math. So as long as yeah. you're good at algebra, like you're pretty good to go. Yeah, there's good to know. You know, you, you don't really use a lot of calculus when formulating cosmetics. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Um, so when you went into uh, cosmetic chemistry, what was it about that field that you really enjoyed? Besides well, making lipsticks. <laughs> yeah, well, for me, uh, it's a really fun industry. And I think it helps that you're getting to work on something that people use every day and pe people use these products to make themselves uh, look good, which in turn makes everyone feel good. If you're having a great hair day, you have a lot of confidence and you're ready to go forth in the world. So for me, 
it's a, it's a fun topic. It's stuff I use and it's things that uh, we make to help people feel really good about themselves. So what, what could be better than that? Yeah. And I will just add to that. I mean, one of my favorite experiences was walking down a store aisle and seeing products that I actually created the formulas for yeah. on the store shelves. And that's a little bit different than a lot of uh, STEM jobs where you're in a laboratory or mm -hmm. a manufacturing plant. Mm -hmm. And the projects that you work on, while they're helpful to advance the specific project that you're working on, uh, that may never be something that a consumer ever sees. And it's you know, you it it might be great work to run protein assays or a mass spectrometer in the QA mm -hmm. lab, uh, but that's not very relatable to everyday people. And creating cosmetic formulas and products is really something that people use. People know these products, and it's a way to see an immediate result of your scientific efforts, and that's very gratifying. Well, that's pretty, that is pretty awesome to see the product that you yourself was a part of. It's on the shelves. Um, and I'm pretty sure you can't say exactly what products you worked on, but what were the fields? Was it more makeup, skincare, or what was it that you really worked on? Well, I started out in skin and then eventually moved over to hair. Uh, but it's no secret I worked uh, most recently for the Paul Mitchell brand. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, and it's it's no secret for me either. I worked on uh, the VO5 brand. I worked on the Tresemme brand, the Nexus brand, and St. Ives brand. These were all uh, different hair care and skincare products that were made by the company that I work for. Uh, the company has since been bought out, and I've left there. But uh, mm -hmm. you know, some of the formulas that I worked on are still out there on the market, as I, at least as long as 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 the ingredient list goes. <laughs> <laughs> So I might jump back just a little bit um, before college when I know for you, Perry, you said you were actually going into biology. Was science always something you wanted to do or was that something you found going into college? You know, and I took an interest when I was growing up as a kid, I really liked animals. Um, we had a lot of animals growing up, not only dogs and cats, but I would catch frogs. I kind of lived out in the the suburbs of Chicago, but the rural suburbs. And uh, there were a lot of farm fields around. So I would catch snakes and frogs and toads. And, and, I'd, ra and I'd, I'd have all these pets. And we <laughs> had chickens and we had pigs. And so I always liked animals. And when I got to college, and I always also did well in science uh, in high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, both science and math. And so when I got to college and they asked me what my major wanted to, what I wanted my major to be, I, I had no clue, but I said, well, I like animals. And they said, well, how about a biology major? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I see that. I mean, that's, I think if you like animals, it's always go into biology, become a veterinarian. Uh, you know, now with social media and access to the internet and access to people, you see more jobs that there are if you go into the biology field. But yeah. yes, yeah, that was the same for me because I love animals. And what I would say, most of the people that were biology majors at the school I went to, I went to DePaul University, but most of the people who were bio majors wanted to become doctors. And mm -hmm. so it was their way to get into medical school. And I didn't really want to become a doctor. Um, so... Uh, 
you know, I, I really wanted to go into biomedical research and figure out how to clone myself. But <laughs> <laughs> you did not. <laughs> I mean, but you could not be kidding either, Fairy. That's the scary part. <laughs> Yeah. I, I know we've gotten a, an ear and a sheep. I don't, I haven't kept up with what else we've gotten in the clone. Oh, process. we've got dogs and, you know, cats and yeah, there are, there are a lot, there are a lot. Yeah. Haven't we uh, at least grown like meat in the lab or something like that? There is meat growing too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, most definitely. Well, what about you, Valerie? How about what you decided or when was your love of science, you know, come about? Yeah, so uh, for me, I think I was always a, a curious person, curious kid, and uh, my parents recognized that in me. I was always asking why, being inquisitive and and exploring and and just figuring out, you know, what happens if I do this. And so uh, when I was about seven or eight, my parents got me a microscope, and I pretty much put everything I could um, under it under the cells, including um, blood. Uh, that I don't think they recommended that in the kit, but I was like, let me see what I can see. And uh, from there, my parents got me an environmental chemistry set. I was very interested uh, in the environment. This was back when, you know, CFCs were depleting the ozone layer and and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And then I wanted to get into uh, neuroscience uh, more as I got older and become a doctor. And then, um, and then I ran into cosmetic science. Med school ended up not being for me, so I went to grad school. And uh, once I left there, uh, that, that's how I got into the cosmetics field. So quite a big deviation from neuroscience. But yeah, I always knew I would probably end up in the sciences somehow. That's really awesome. And, you know, yeah. one of the things and one of the reasons uh, for the show is that a lot of people in STEM usually have one idea for what they're going to do. And yeah. it doesn't pick, typically pan out and they find or they find something that they love that they didn't mm -hmm. realize they loved. And, you know, I just want to encourage the next group coming up that it's OK to be open minded. But, you know, considering STEM in the meantime. Yeah. So when did you guys two meet? We met uh, on we, social media. I think so. We met through Twitter. Yeah. Oh, that really? Was, yeah, that was, uh, gosh, 12 years ago, 2010. Uh, we met. And in 2013, uh, Perry came to Los Angeles to do a talk about scientists and social media and how to be a really good uh, communicator online. And we, we met in person. I was like, you know huge fans. I took a picture with them on a super blurry cell phone. And then uh, we just, we stayed in touch ever since. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. And we decided to uh, start up the Beauty Brains as a podcast. Uh, I had been doing it with another partner, but he, uh, he decided to retire and I didn't really know what to do with the podcast. And I was talking to Valerie about it as we had met at uh, a trade show in Las Vegas. Uh, mm -hmm. Yep. Southwest Chemical or, or some trade show like that. <laughs> and uh, Valerie just said that she was interested. And so from then on, we started, we, we sort of restarted it and uh, we've yep. been going strong ever since. Wow, that's really awesome. You know, I could never really get into Twitter. I think it was just the small amount of words that I can use and I trying to. <laughs> make it short was always my hard part with Twitter. Mm -hmm. And I know it's not really as much the issue as it was back then. But yeah, that that's pretty cool that you guys met on Twitter. 
Yeah, yeah Twitter it was it was the first social media thing at, at, at that time. I mean, there was only Facebook and there was Twitter. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was you going to say, Valerie? Oh, yeah, I was just going to say that was kind of the platform to be on. Right. And so I still I'm not on it as much anymore. I like to use it for more you know, like news and communicating pieces of information to other colleagues of mine in the industry, but Instagram, which is, you know, I think where we're at more now, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's really fun to post photos of, you know, behind the scenes stuff. I can't do a lot of behind the scenes because a lot of what I'm working on is, you know, proprietary to my clients or, uh, you know, things that aren't launched yet. So I, I can't post them, but it's, you know, it's fun to be on the more uh, imagery side of it now. Yes. And before you got on, I was talking with Perry and saying how I was just listening to the latest uh, episode and you guys were talking about TikTok. So is that yeah. the next platform? Well, are there, any 12 year, are there any 12 year olds <laughs> on here who can teach us? Because we do not know how to do it. At least do it cool. We're not sure yet. Well, you know, I was actually on TikTok before it was TikTok. It was uh, an app called Musical.ly. You recall that? Oh no! I do actually. Yeah. I remember oh, that. Wow! And that's great. only because I have younger nieces and nephews. Yeah, Musically got uh, brought in. Uh, got bought out by TikTok. Oh, someone's asking about the name of our podcast. It's called The Beauty Brains, and we yes, just published episode three hundred and three. So, so we have a lot yeah. of a lot of back issues. <laughs> Yes, yeah. yes, and a lot, a lot of it. So I know Perry, you you actually started with a different partner, but what made you want to start the podcast, The Beauty Brains? Well, we started the 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 blog, The Beauty Brains, as a way to try to cut through a lot of the marketing claims that we saw in the beauty industry. Now, when I started The Beauty Brains, that was back in about two thousand and six. Uh, mm -hmm. My partner and I were both cosmetic chemists working at the, the company that we were, but we couldn't really be uh, ourselves online. And I, actually, I think it's still, as a scientist in an industry, you can't necessarily say what you want to say. No. So we mm -hmm. started the Beauty Brains as a blog, um, and that blog, we were anonymous. So we had a character <laughs> that's called Right Brain, we had a Left Brain character, and then our PR person, Sarah Bellum. So, but all of them, <laughs> both of us. Uh, so we were just writing that. And uh, then the, the blog went well. We turned it into a book. We got a book deal that uh, allowed me to get onto uh, so a bunch of TV programs to push the book, like the Rachel Ray program and the Dr. Oz program. Yep. Uh, and, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, eventually, I left my corporate job just to focus on the beauty brains and my other online stuff. Uh, and then... You know, we actually started way early in the podcast world. I've always been a fan of listening to podcasts, but mm -hmm. our first episodes were probably from 2009. That was probably before iTunes. Um, and then uh, we had just kept it up. Uh, we started more formally in about 2014 uh, or 2012. And then uh, Valerie and I started together, uh, what was it, about 2017 or 2018? 2018 episode 
there you go. <laughs> yeah, and we've, I mean, we've, we've kept going since then. I mean, it's it's a great format since it's people send us questions. We don't yeah. uh, we don't make up the questions. They're actual questions that people send in asking about yep. products and uh, gives us a chance to dive into the chemistry and, and explain the claims behind products. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Yes, and, and that's really awesome. I checked you guys out, of course, and was looking at the blog and everything like that. And hearing some of the questions, do you know, do you ever get backlash when you're saying, oh, that product because of this chemical may or may not work or may or may not clean as well? Do you ever get backlash yeah. for that? I think um, not necessarily backlash. We do get some feedback if people don't like what we say or how we say it or if we're a little bit dismissive. I think we get a lot of feedback. Uh, people don't like us being dismissive, but sometimes that's just the nature of it, right? Uh, but I right. think a lot of people are actually more grateful because you know, even myself, mm. although I'm a scientist, I make products, I have experience with claims and working with marketing to write claims and, and how do you validate them? but I fall for stuff all the time in the store. And then I'm just like, wait, no, put your thinking cap on. Like, should you be spending $38 on an ounce of this oil, right? Like it's ludicrous. Right. So uh, I think most people are probably grateful that we made them feel better about not, you know, going too crazy on something or feeling like they're missing out on something. I think that's a whole, the whole mission of our, our show, The Beauty Brains is to make, consumers smarter about their beauty product purchases. Um, I'm a very basic type of person and- He's not the user. He does not <laughs> use the right. product on the shelf. I'm a terrible cosmetic yeah. user uh, because, you know, I just look at things from a chemistry standpoint and I, I if, just throw away brands and throw away fragrances. Uh, none of that matters to me. I just want to know what's, if I did it in a lab test, what's going to work? And I think one of the things that really sets us apart by other people that are doing this is that we we really don't take any promotional money from brands uh, mm -hmm. or outlets like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I do believe that if you're taking uh, money from a brands or you're getting uh, affiliate program kickbacks and that kind of thing, it does sort of shade your ability to be objective. And one of the things that we really try to do is say, Hey, we're scientists. This is just what we think from the a science standpoint. This is what we think of the claims that are being made. You have to make your own decision about what what you believe. But uh, that's that's generally, I think, what sets us apart. Okay. Yeah. And so, do you have recommendations for people when it comes to cleansing, or do you? Is it more based off of skin type? Well, I'll, I'll answer this and I'll let Valerie, I'll no let Valerie answer better. Uh, <laughs> for me, I mean, uh, you know, I, 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 I say, you know, I don't recommend what I do, but I just use uh, shampoo as a shampoo, a body wash. I shave with hot water. Uh, I am as basic <laughs> as it comes. Uh, but that's the that's the nice part about bringing Valerie on to the beauty brains because it used to be me and another yeah. guy and. There were two guys talking around about products that they mostly didn't use. Valerie is actually a user. And so when people are looking for recommendations about uh, products and the experience, uh, Valerie is a, a great addition to the show. And now she can answer that about recommendations. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, the thing is, Perry's he's not wrong from a scientific perspective. His beauty routine uh, works. It chemically works. But mm-hmm. part of the great thing about using products is the whole experience. What does it feel like? What does it smell like? Uh, Perry is just like my husband um, on the show. We call him Mr. Cosmetic Chemist. He hasn't made <laughs> any physical appearances, but you know we talk about him a lot. And his routine is the exact same. If I give him a cream, I'm like, oh, did you like how it did this? And he's just like, I just put it on my face. Like, you know, he doesn't know anything. But you know, for me, I think I can relate to a lot of the listeners because I spend money on products. I use products. And I know that sometimes, you know, if a vitamin C product smells like orange, I think it works a little bit more, right? Because, you know, you relate oranges with vitamin C and that kind of stuff. And that's just, to me, the really fun part. And that's why I can bring to the consumers is I've tried a lot of products and I don't think anyone should feel guilty if they've dropped a lot of coin on something and they like it, even if, you know, it's probably a lot overpriced so we're very different dynamic that perry and i bring together <laughs> for sure yeah. and i think it, it works well for us oh yes absolutely you know um and i don't want to categorize but a, a lot of men have that routine you know more simplistic routine yeah. when it comes i to think if you did a legitimate study you would see that that could be correct that there's some <laughs> you know, genderization to that. Yeah. But I would say things, but things are changing. It seems like people from my generation uh, are probably less into products than a younger generation of men coming up. So, mm-hmm. or that's what they tell me. Men's, men's skincare <laughs> is going to be taking off <laughs> every, every year. That's the hot new trend. <laughs> it's yeah. Never seen yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I will say I do see people or, you know, online, I do see more men, taking care of their skin or saying, you know, yeah. my diet is X, Y, and Z for my skin. And even for hair, you know, there's a lot of beards are in. So taking care of the beard, beard oil, beard Big shampoos time. and all that yep. stuff. So I definitely see it. Um, I'm not sure how well those products work, but, you know, I definitely see how that's coming about. Yeah, so do for you, sure. Right. And so, yeah, Deshaun says, yep. Um, but with that, you know, you have all of these products on the shelves and all these different variations of pretty much the same thing, you know, how, and make sure you can go listen to the Beauty Brains podcast to probably find out more, but how do you differentiate, like, what um, you want to use, or is there a particular ingredient, so to speak, that you look for in a product? or that someone else should be looking for, I should say. Yeah, well, it really depends. I mean, the reality is a lot of products are the same. You know, uh, as chemists, we have access to the same pool of ingredients. And while there may be, you know, technically over 15,000 ingredients, I think, you know, a conditioner has, you know, a very similar construct to another conditioner. And there's subtle nuances and differences that you can, you know, give it depending on what conditioning agent you're using or, you know, how you put the emulsion together and and what's Mm -hmm. the particle size and all that kind of stuff. I think there are some consistencies that can be offered. For example, in a hair product, if I'm looking for hair softening, I'm looking for Quaternium 91 because I think that's a really wonderful conditioning agent that helps leave hair feeling soft. If I'm looking for color protection. I'm going to look for something with amodimethicone because that is hands down, I think the best color protectant that you can put 
in a shampoo or conditioner to protect your hair color. So there and are Valerie some- would know as she is one of the country's foremost experts in hair color <laughs> technology. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, oh, there are so. not a lot of hair color experts, even in our industry. And Valerie is certainly one of the top in there. Oh, you're so, oh, so go on, Valerie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, there are things that, you know, we can recommend to look for, but um, sometimes you, you just got to try the product to find out because even if an ingredient can be in there, it depends what else is with it. How is it put together? You know, is something negating that attribute or adding to that attribute uh, really just depends. And so sometimes the tough part is uh, it's trial and error, I think. And from a formulator standpoint, I think one of the hardest things about being a formulator is that the technology isn't changing that much. The chemicals that were available 20 years ago are still most of the same ones available now. And it's very difficult. The other added difficulty is consumers, they're not very good at telling subtle differences. Um, it's mm. they're not. Um, if you made a shampoo and you could show in a laboratory the, some of these tiny differences, obvious differences that you can measure, uh, but you give it to consumers, you know, if it has a different fragrance, they're going to grade it all differently. <laughs> so uh, a lot can be, uh, there's a halo effect of fragrance and color and packaging and brand name uh, that can sort of wipe out the subtle differences that you can notice in technology. And so it's very difficult to make products that actually work in a consumer perceptibly different way. Hmm. That's, that's very interesting. Uh, so what is the fragrance most consumers go for? Well, there's no magic fragrance. Um, <laughs> no. And fragrance companies are always putting out trend reports on what consumers mm -hmm. are reaching for next. Be just, be just like fashion, it's changing. Um, mm -hmm. I think when, when I was working in men's skincare, and, and maybe this is still true, uh, vanilla and orange were the top uh, scents that men, men preferred along with mint. Uh, you know, those were like the general categories. But of course, mm -hmm. with vanilla, you can get all sorts of uh, little different vanilla nuances. Like, you know, Mr. Cosmetic Chemist loves those really sugary, you know, vanillas that, you know, it's like he probably could eat the product. He loves that. But then <laughs> you could have like a spicy vanilla, you know, or something like mm. that. But from a from a, a general standpoint, uh, it's seasonal. And there's lots of mm. uh, people who uh, work in the fragrance industry that are somehow uh, coming up with trends. I don't know where they're getting them from, <laughs> uh, you know, but they're saying this is what consumers are demanding and, and that's so, right. So there's a whole concept in uh, the beauty industry called class to mass. And often you'll look at what is a hot prestige uh, fragrance at the moment and mm -hmm. the beauty companies will then try to take a version of that really expensive hot fragrance and you know get it into the mass market uh products and and so that's often what what changes about fragrances is uh what's hot in in fine fragrances will eventually trickle its way down uh to your mm -hmm. mass market products i will also say though that when a brand it gets a fragrance, it gets known as that fragrance. And it's pretty rare that they change. The Pantene yeah. fragrance, the Pantene Pro-V uh, mm -hmm. hair care line, they've had that fragrance for almost 30 years, but uh, it's just still appealing to consumers. The Johnson & Johnson Baby Shampoo, they haven't changed their fragrances in years either. 
And it's because when a product is selling and when it's working for consumers, uh, nobody really wants to change anything about it unless they have to. Yeah. Well, it's part of nostalgia, right? There's yeah. a uh, shampoo that uh, that was in the brand that I worked at, and it has a very distinct cucumber melon scent, and it's from the 80s, which is a bit before cucumber melon was hot. And this guy, he uh, an ingredient salesman, he came to the lab, and he was like, do you guys still have this product? It, you know, it was like kind of a melony cucumber scent. And I was like, oh, yeah, and I named it, and he's like, ugh. That reminded me of my girlfriends in college. <laughs> I was like, eh. he actually said his girlfriend showers. And I was like, I don't want to know. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot of information. Yeah. But, but yeah, he was recalling something from 20 years ago. Right. And I mean, and like Deshaun says, uh, familiar, familiarity is strong. Yeah. You know? For and, sure. Um, they, you know, they have often stated that that sense of smell is associated with memory and you know when you have that it's it's one of those things because yes there is definitely certain scents and certain products that have been in my family's on my family shelf or something like that that you smell it 20 years later and you're just like oh man yeah that that reminds me of of time past when but I will say that uh, fragrances is heavily influenced by culture too. In the United States, the lavender fragrance uh, is makes people think of baby powder and baby products. Mm. And, uh, over in in Europe, it's more of a cleansing product, more of the way that we look at lemon scents. They look at lavender scents as that cleaning fragrance. So uh, it really does depend, also, you know, culturally, what country you're in or, or you know what group you're in. Okay, so then, like when you brought up Pantene, is um, is that the same smell overseas, or do, do they augment their scent when they're sending their product to different countries? For uh, for a brand like Pantene, they generally try to keep the formulas as similar as they can throughout the world. Mm -hmm. um, but if but they it's such a generic rigorous... scent, right? It's not like so specific to anything. The Pantene, it's like. A generic clean and fresh scent right they right. have a floral one i mean it's a fragrance and i only know so much about the pantene scent because when uh pantene was it's been the best-selling shampoo for a number of years probably for the last mm -hmm. 25 years and so when we would do tests we would try to match get a fragrance that matched it uh, because when you're doing consumer research on your formula, you want to compare it to the best that's out there, the best selling that's out there. And you mm -hmm. need the fragrances to be really close. And it was a challenge, actually, to, to, to sort of copy their fragrance. But it is sort of a more floral, fruity floral kind of uh, subtle fragrance. Now, whether they have a different fragrance in Mexico or, you know, the UK and the United States... Uh, I think it's going to depend on how well the product is doing uh, locally. So it, it may be the same fragrance, but it may, for you know, local reasons, uh, a different fragrance might score better. So they might change it in that instance. Okay. Yeah. That's something to think about the next time we travel, right? To go right. to the store and like start opening caps. And yeah, step and everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and it's it's. Because it's very interesting when you do travel overseas and you see such differences like in the food products or how yeah. it's marketed and things like that. You know, 
I guess personally, I don't, I don't really think about the soaps or the shampoos because odds are I'm going to bring my own, you know, to utilize. So, but yeah, I guess I could see how a, a business can change it for whoever they're going to have there. Right. Yeah. So that's pretty cool that to think about that that's even what some brands have to do, especially maybe newer brands versus older brands. So um, with you guys' podcast and with your work, I know that you guys travel quite a bit. Yep. So is that more for being a cosmetic chemist? Is it more for the podcast or what are your travel and your business kind of mesh? So I would say when I was, um, I'll call it just a cosmetic chemist, I got to travel a very tiny bit. Maybe I had to go to another manufacturing facility that was in a different state where we were producing our products. Maybe I got to go to an ingredient show like one time I live in LA and I got to go to an ingredient show in New York, which was pretty cool. Or I'd have to go to Las Vegas with the whole team. Uh, But that is not totally common for a lot of people. As I uh, climbed up into the echelons of management in um, corporate America and was in the um, executive level, I had to start traveling a whole lot. And I was gone a couple times a month going different places, uh, you know, definitely to check on manufacturing facilities or to work mm-hmm. on innovations with third parties, to go to uh, different trade shows around the world. Uh, I, I was just required to travel a whole lot more. Additionally, uh, Perry and I are heavily involved in the uh, cosmetics industry as a whole. So we're not mm-hmm. necessarily even traveling for our own work. We're traveling on behalf of the Society of Cosmetic Chemists in some kinds of different capacities. Yeah, I would echo those words. So if you're first starting in the cosmetic industry, it, you probably shouldn't expect that you're going to be traveling a lot. <laughs> Mostly you're going to stay in the lab working on projects. Yeah, I had opportunities to visit uh, production plants. So if mm-hmm. I worked on a formula and we were going to scale it up and it was going to be produced by somebody else, which sometimes happens, uh, I got to go to Mexico City to help make sure our formula, our conditioner formula worked there. I went to Toronto to make sure it worked there. So that those were instances. But I also got the opportunity when I was working on the, the, the VO5 brand when we were launching a new product to go out to New York City and meet with all of the editors of the beauty magazines. It's a mm-hmm. thing that happens. They, they, Our marketing people and our PR people took the scientists around and we were supposed to explain the science behind the new launch. So, Did you have to wear a lab coat? Yeah, I, you yeah. get to wear a lab coat. And, yeah. <laughs> and you get to drive with, around. like your safety glasses on. Right. And you get to drive around the city with a PR guy. And it was it was a treat. It was fun. I actually had to get media training um, <laughs> to, to get to make sure I said all the right stuff. So, yeah. Um, well, that, not a lot of scientists can communicate. So I think it's a special skill set that you can do that. Yeah, right. Was, absolutely. So so those are the opportunity as a, a cosmetic formulator. Those were the kinds of things I got to do. But as Valerie said, we're involved with the Society of Cosmetic Chemists. And one of the things that I started to do as a, a writer, I, I wrote uh, articles about formulating and eventually that got put together in a book called Beginning Cosmetic Chemistry. So I started teaching a course for the Society of Cosmetic Chemists based on that book, Beginning Cosmetic Chemistry. So it was kind of the introduction 
course for new new scientists coming into our industry. And so I got to travel for that, you know, travel East Coast, West Coast, uh, and, you know, get up and teach an all day class in front of 50 people or so. So which was that was fun. Then I got known as a speaker. And so at the variety of the cosmetic chemists uh, societies around the country and then of ultimately around the world, uh, I got to give talks about uh, te technology, about formulating all kinds of different topics. And so if you're interested in traveling and you want to get into STEM, one of the things I would suggest is get some topic that you can become an expert at. And because people are always looking for somebody to speak on various topics. Uh, get have something to say and uh, put together a presentation. And there are lots of places you can go travel, dude. I was just uh, invited to uh, Uruguay uh, at the end of this year to to do a talk in front of their society. So uh, yeah, I get I've being able to give a presentation about a topic in which you're a perceived expert in the industry uh, is a great way to get to travel as a formulator. <laughs> Are you bringing me with you to Uruguay? Am I, is it a package deal? Like, hello. Yeah, we'll, we'll have that. We'll be a, a remote broadcast by the Beauty Brains in South America. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, that would be awesome. You know, I think so. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and that, that kind of lit, was going to lead me to my next question, which was, you know, kind of what do you see the future for cosmetic chemistry and like what advice would you give someone maybe interested in that field? The great thing about cosmetic chemistry is that the future is secure. People are always going to use beauty products and they are only going to be more and more regulated by different governments. So there's lots of job security in always needing to reformulate things or try to create new technologies within the confines of whatever rules there are out there. So I think that's, you know, something good to know. You can have a job one day uh, at a company and if you hate it, you can um, in the right region like Los Angeles or New Jersey um, or, you know, maybe even Chicago, you just go across the street to the next company and get another job because they're hiring. We have a shortage of qualified cosmetic chemists um, with with experience, legitimate experience with science backgrounds, there's a huge shortage of them in the industry, especially as the more experienced people are retiring or opening their own consulting agencies. So from a, a future of the, the state, it's very, very uh, secure, which is great news. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And formulating is one of those jobs that's not going to be taken over by computers anytime soon. You still need to uh, come up with the percentages that work together, but ultimately you have to put the stuff together in a beaker, mix it together, and then it, you subjectively decide, is this a good formula or not? We don't have a computer or a robot that can figure out whether a formula mm -hmm. is good or whether consumers will like it. So we're always going to need chemists, at least yeah. for the foreseeable future, to be creative and to come up with new products. There is uh, a couple of trends that I kind of find annoying, the clean beauty trend and the natural beauty trend. Uh, and mostly I find them annoying because they, I think they're disingenuous. Products are already safe. And when you say it's clean beauty, you kind of are implying that the stuff that's on the market now isn't safe. But that, that's, I just think that's misleading, especially to consumers. But from a chemist standpoint, these new marketing stories gives us a, an opportunity 
to reformulate something that has been working perfectly well. But, you know, they'll say, make this detergent or this shampoo, but you can't use the surfactant you've used forever. And so now this becomes a new challenge. And a lot of times that can be frustrating. And from the consumer standpoint, I think mostly they lose out because they get products that don't work as well and cost more money. But from the chemist standpoint, it gives you a chance to try out things and experiment where pricing is not always uh, uh, the first consideration, which it often is when you're formulating, especially for mass market brands. And as far as how to get into the cosmetics industry, uh, really it is networking, uh, making sure that you know people who are in the industry and can help you figure out who the players are and who to know to get a job. I've had to hire a lot of people. I've had to look through a lot of resumes. And, mm -hmm. you know, a resume, it's very difficult to tell the true skill set of a person. There can be a really strong candidate who doesn't have a great resume and um, you're going to pass on them because of a piece of paper versus someone can have a very well-written, well-crafted resume and they're probably not the right individual to hire or even interview. So I typically like to interview and select candidates based on uh, referrals. Uh, and if mm -hmm. I know who they are, know where they've worked before and someone I trust is recommending somebody, uh, usually that's a, a really, really good start. So to do that, I recommend to look for the Society of Cosmetic Chemists, which is mm -hmm. the industry organization that is dedicated to the advancement of cosmetic science. Both Perry and I are members, uh, but there's over 5,000 members, maybe even over six or 7,000 in the United States alone. And in between the United States and Canada, there's 19 chapters. And if you look mm -hmm. where the chapters are on the website, sccaonline.org, uh, you'll kind of see these, these hot spots for chapters. And that's generally where there's a large concentration of jobs. So by becoming a member of the SCC, you could even be a student member. You can learn about when their meetings are, when they happen, attend, and then start to meet people and get that networking going. Uh, but even before then, uh, Perry has some great information on one of his websites about what you need from an education perspective to become a cosmetic chemist. Yeah, that's my mm -hmm. website I also do called Chemist's Corner, which really is tries to bridge that gap between college and getting into the cosmetic industry. And so you can find a lot of that, chemistscorner.com. I'll also add that there are a number of international uh, international groups, and since this is YouTube and we're international, right? <laughs> we're global. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So uh, since this show is international, there's the International Federation of the Society of Cosmetic Chemists. The ifscc.org is the website for that. So if you're in a different country and you're wondering, hey, is my country got a cosme uh, cosmetic chemist society where I can meet the people that are involved? Uh, go check out ifscc.org and see if it's you're one of the 50 countries that have uh, organizations. One of the things I will also add is that going to trade shows, uh, chemical raw material trade shows, and learning the companies that are in the industry. I remember when I got into, when I started looking for a job, I didn't know what industry I was interested in. So I was going to take a job in food and beverage, agriculture, cosmetics. I just mm -hmm. happened to go there. Uh, but I thought if I was, if I really knew that I wanted to go into cosmetics, the first thing I would do is look, who are the biggest companies in this industry? And how is the industry set up? I didn't know anything about 
I mean, I had heard about Procter and Gamble and Unilever, but mm -hmm. I didn't really yeah. know anything about those companies. Well, you could find that information out easily now uh, online, but you can also find out about the chemical raw material suppliers, which is uh, a huge place for uh, entry level chemists to get started in the cosmetic industry. Another place is to find out about contract manufacturers. There are tons of these small contract manufacturers that are that need a formulator and these jobs are very interesting because they will get you to work on a lot of different types of products you have skincare hair care color cosmetics you know uh, nail care oral care <laughs> and then cleaning products for car cleaning and so and so you really you really learn your stuff if you work as a formulator at a contract manufacturer one of the things that happens when you're at a big company is say I got hired on as a, a shampoo chemist and they focused me on making shampoos and conditioners uh, and just hair care. I, you know, I brand when, as I got more familiar, I branched off and did styling products. And when we bought a skincare brand, I got involved in making skincare products, but companies really want to develop you in a specific formulating niche. And mm -hmm. that's might be good for the company, but it's not really good for your own career. Uh, and so mm -hmm. even if you do get a job as a formulator, you should maybe on the side, learn to be a complete cosmetic chemist. Don't stick and let yourself get pigeonholed and becoming a, just a hair color chemist or <laughs> a skin care <laughs> chemist or something like that. It's good to be, develop an expertise. Don't get me wrong. You want to develop an expertise in one thing, but you have to be able to have that broad knowledge to be able to be, like I said, a complete cosmetic chemist. You want to be a master of a trade and a jack of all trades. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good way to put it. Yeah, you know, um, jack of all trades, but really hone into the skill that you're you're good at, I guess you could say, yeah. or that one skill. Yeah. But yeah, so um a jack I'm of all trades, a master of all trades. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> look up those websites and, and add them to this later on. But, you know, for a student, a, a college student, so basically going to these trade shows, one of the things Valerie said earlier was an ingredient show, which yeah. I don't think people really know what those types of things are. So what what is an ingredient show? So an ingredient show is a place where uh, chemists and product developers, people who are manufacturing products, where they can go to one place and meet all of the vendors uh, that want to display at the show so they can teach people about their ingredients. So, you know, when you're a cosmetic chemist and you're working at a job, typically these raw material suppliers will come in and meet with you individually and tell you about their ingredients. A show is really a place where you can go and meet with hundreds of ingredient suppliers if you wanted to. And they, uh, different organizations put them on. Uh, the SCC, the Society of Cosmetic Chemists, to uh, several chapters actually put on their own ingredient shows. Uh, the mm -hmm. New York Suppliers Day is one that's uh, held in New York every year. And then every other year, the Society of Cosmetic Chemists in California puts on a show. Every other year in Texas, uh, you know, there's a trade show in Chicago. Chicago there's a trade show. Every other year also. Yeah. So a lot of the chapters have their own ingredient uh, shows. I go to one in Europe every year um, because I like to go to Europe every year uh, <laughs> if I can. And, you know, the company's paying for it and that kind of stuff. Uh, That's but it's a show called 
That's a show called In Cosmetics, which is very, very popular from an international standpoint. So if yeah. you're one of our international watchers, there's In Cosmetics Europe. There's also In Cosmetics Asia. So yeah. these are these are the shows that you would go to and you will find all of the raw material suppliers and you could talk to people and, and learn about the ingredients. Because one of the things that you'll discover as you go through getting your degree in chemistry from college um, most of the stuff that's important for your job as a formulator is not stuff that you learn in yeah. school. Uh, you have, you learn about theory theories and the math of chemistry and bonding and all of that. But what you don't learn that you have to learn on your own is what are the, these chemicals and what do they do in a formula? Yep. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, um, most of them are free to attend as a chemist or, you know, if you're with a company, you can just uh, register and attend. Uh, they're really, really fun. I mean, for me as a chemist to see what's new, what's happening, um, you know, maybe it's not a new ingredient, but maybe a company took an old ingredient and did some new testing on it to mm -hmm. make it more relevant and exciting. Um, but most importantly, I think it's a great place to network because everyone you ever need to know in the industry is in one spot. <laughs> Right. And do you feel like Twitter is still the place to network? <laughs> I like I like Twitter, uh, but it's not the only place to be. It, Instagram uh, has a lot of a lot of people there. Yeah. Um, Facebook is still, you know, it's it's old people, but, uh, you know, it's <laughs> not there's it's still a lot of people. Old people make products too. Right. But you know, another, uh, another spot, at least from an industry standpoint, that's worthwhile building up a familiarity with is your, is LinkedIn and getting a LinkedIn yeah. profile and connecting with other people on LinkedIn who have, um, who are working in the industry. You can find out about companies. Uh, it's a great place to network from a job standpoint. It's also a great place where you can publish articles and your thoughts about topics and start to mm -hmm. develop your own expertise online. Even if you don't have a job, uh, you can anybody can publish their something on LinkedIn or even create your own blog or your own YouTube channel. And, you know, it, you can show people what you got before they meet you. Now, yeah. the downside of that is that if you are uh, publishing nonsense, they'll see that too. So make sure you, you're, you're yeah, yeah make the Facebook private, the LinkedIn public, and keep the content right. separate, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we are about out of time. So before we go, is there one last thing that you would want the audience to know, either about you, the Beauty Brains podcast, or just cosmetic chemistry, but what is something you would like the audience to know? I would like uh, anyone interested in STEM um, or sciences in general, and are maybe thinking about cosmetic sciences, or maybe you're not thinking about cosmetic sciences to know that I already said it, it's a super fun industry, but there's a lot of opportunity and it's not all just formulating at the bench. You know, sure. That's the fun part. You get to work with marketing and come up with new products and be creative, but there's also formulators who only work on reformulating products, which is a totally different skill set. There are people who have to work in quality, chemists work in quality control to make sure that products in manufacturing are meeting specifications. There are chemists who uh, work more as engineers and they work in the manufacturing plants, taking mm -hmm. something from a tiny beaker and getting it to a, you know, a big 50,000 pound tank. 
Uh, there's mm -hmm. microbiologists, there's people who focus on regulatory, whether for a brand or a manufacturer or a government agency. There's um, people who work in claims testing that develop um, different methodologies to help brands support whatever claims they want to make. There's all sorts of jobs. There's people who conduct fundamental research to create new ingredients. There's, there's all sorts of things. So no matter what science you go into, I really feel there's a spot for you uh, in the cosmetic sciences. So even if you're not into makeup or skincare, um, great job security. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And who doesn't like fun? And there's definitely something that'll pique your interest in helping bring products to market. So just keep an open mind. And I'll I'll just add that I love being a cosmetic chemist. I very much enjoy. <laughs> and you use no products. <laughs> <laughs> but I I very much enjoyed the opportunity to invent stuff. You get to go to a job every day and mix stuff together and test things and try things out, and uh, that was a lot of fun. One of the things I will, the, the bit of advice that I will leave uh, people who are in the sciences is that it's, while it's very important to become technically savvy and know the science and technology, to survive and thrive in a career in industry requires you a little bit more than being technically smart. You have to be um, emotionally smart or people smart, and you have to learn those soft skills. Uh, probably the most useful skill that you can learn is how to write and communicate well. And it has nothing to do with science, but uh, it's really yeah. going to serve you well in the way you communicate and the way you come off in a corporate setting. Additionally, I will say learn how to get along with other people. Learn how to work mm -hmm. well with people. Uh, don't complain. Uh, and, you know, try to help people get ahead and that's going to help you get ahead in your own career because often you might not be the boss, but you need to work with people to get them to do something for you so you can get what you want done. And these are just the kinds of things that, well, I, as I, a youth in college going through, I never thought, I just thought become as smart as I possibly can in science and the rest will take care of itself. Well, you know what? The rest doesn't take care of itself. Soft skills goes that. a long way. I've had those conversations. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for being a part of the show today. I really appreciate it. And before we go, I just want to make sure that I take a moment to, well, I was supposed to be sharing your, website, but I don't know why it's not popping up right now. But Well, it's thebeautybrains.com. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, uh, beautybrains.com. I wanted to share, your, uh, share it on here, but it's thebeautybrains.com. Okay. Make sure you check out their podcast um, and learn a lot more than what we was able to share tonight on skincare and hair care and just products in general, you know, mm -hmm. and I appreciate you guys. Um, as other people might know, this is uh, the 50th episode that I've Whoa. done. Ooh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I've taken some breaks here and there, but I've gotten to 50. But you're doing although... it. You're persevering. That's all that matters. Thank you. Um, yeah, this is the 50th podcast, but this is the 83rd interview I've done with people in Ooh. STEM. Because I used to have a, uh, M, a TV show out here in the Bay Area where I did it in person well before the pandemic happened. So... <laughs> Um, thank you on all of that. I will, if you guys will wait just a second. Um, I appreciate everyone who joined us tonight. Thank you for all the questions or comments in the chat. If you have more questions or comments, 
make sure you send me them to my website, catbobbino.com, or you can find me on social media. So I'm easy to find because I'm Cat Bobbino and no one else has that name. So (laughs) thank you guys for everything tonight and have a good rest of the week. Thanks Thanks for having us, Cat. Mm-hmm.